Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 160 of the Family Preneur Podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Whether you are a brand new listener and this is your first time, welcome, or if you are a longtime listener, back for more. If you are not already subscribed to Family Preneur, I highly encourage you to go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on so that you don't miss another one of our episodes. We release content three times a week. Mondays, we talk about marketing. On Wednesdays, we bring you an interview for our midweek mastermind with either a parent or a child entrepreneur. And then on Fridays, I share some reflections for the week. Now let's introduce today's guest. She is sought after for her ability to easily explain complex business principles and processes in a simple and straightforward way. She began her career in financial software design before she started her first company in the year 2000. With a varied background in working with small, medium, and large businesses, she has a great grasp on the scalability factors that are really essential to growing a successful business. She's also a certified profit-first professional and strives to help creative business owners focus on the financial health and profitability of their companies. She believes that every choice we make is either a step towards or away from profitability. In this episode, we're going to explore her proven strategies to overcoming obstacles related to pricing and profits, as well as her processes for familypreneur balance. Today, we're joined by the founder of Scarlet Thread Consulting, Michelle Williams. Hey, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Meg, I'm glad to be here. Oh, me too. So I want to touch on two kind of aspects of your story today. One has to do with your family. Your kids are grown now, and they grew alongside your business. So I definitely want to talk about your experiences there, because you're a step ahead of me in that respect. And two, I want to talk about the ways that you actually help businesses grow and scale through your consulting firm. Okay. So let's start with the family stuff. I don't know. I just love starting with family stuff. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about launching your business. I know your kids were young, like two and four, did you say? Yeah, two and four and a half. Mm -hmm. So how did that launch process go and what was it like in the early days? Okay. So my first 10 years of working, I worked corporate America. Okay. And I worked in software development and I actually continued working there when my kids were, um, I left corporate America when my youngest was one and my oldest was three and a half. And so I came home and it was about a year. So I came home in 
oh gosh, late um, 1998. And I didn't start my business until January of 2000. And my business started a little bit by planning and a little bit by happenstance. And, and I say that because I think I know from experience, from having been in, you know, in the industry with creatives, that many moms in particular do something really well. And all of their friends say, hey, if you'll do that for me, I'll pay you. And, and, and these small cottage businesses are built. And I say that because that's how mine started. So I knew that I wanted to start some type of a business. I knew that I had some abilities and I I wasn't really sure what it was going to look like, but I knew I wanted to do something to help bring in some money. Um, I had gone from making six figures in corporate to, of course, not having a paycheck as mom. My paycheck was sticky little hugs and kisses. And and that was great, but I still couldn't take that to the bank. So I really needed some some cash. <laughs> and so um, long story short, I had a neighbor who came to the front door and rang the doorbell and asked me if I would make window treatments, custom panels and draperies and all these things for her because she'd seen them in my home because I'd made them. And so my business kind of started by plan, but by accident. And I was like, sure, I'll make them for you. So I kind of started the business without a business plan, without a plan for my kids, just let me make some money. And so the kids, I did it mostly while they were in mother's morning out. They were asleep. I worked a lot of nights so that I could be with them during the day because they're both, I think my oldest at that point was in, he was in four-year-old preschool and the, the little one, when he's two years old, I don't even know that he was in much more than maybe one day a week for two or three hours. So when they went to sleep, I set up my workspace on the same level of the house so that I could hear them. And I would work, work, work. I would work at night. My husband would come home. We would eat. We would bathe the kids. He would do the bedtime routine, and I would go back to work. And so I did that for a while until I got them both in um, preschool. And, you know, by the time everybody's both in preschool, you feel like you just got, like, all the three hours a day for three (laughs) days a week. And so just, you know, over the years, I allowed my business to expand as my children grew. And so then when they both got into elementary school, you know, now I had a little bit longer day, like from nine to one thirty or something. And, and then it just grew and grew and grew. And so I I made a choice, though. I shared this um, with another podcast earlier in, in the week. And I my husband and I made a choice about how we wanted to balance our family between his working, my working, and taking care of the kids. Like, where did that fall in? What did we want to be most important for our family? For time together, for income, for choices, because it is super hard for both parents to work at an extremely high level. Um, Something's going to give, right? We cannot do it all at the same time. I'm in my 50s, and I'm just telling you, I have not yet met anybody who could do it all without sacrificing something. Something had to give. So then making the choice in advance of what's going to give. Is it going to be our income during this particular phase so that we could be with the kids more? Is it going to be our vacations? We're going to scale them back so that we don't have to bring in as much income. Is it going to be that we want to put into retirement? Like, what is it this important in this season of life? And that helped a lot. But I also gave my kids jobs in my business. So a couple of things that I did, I gave them jobs that they could do and I could pay them. So they would go around and pick up the pins off the floor when they were older. I had a magnet. They would take out the trash. They would 
go on installs with me. They did different things with me that were age appropriate that they got paid for, but they also saw what that work did. And then my husband and I were very intentional, Meg, of sitting down with the kids because sometimes they got frustrated that I was at home and we couldn't go to the pool because I had to work. Mm. And so even for summers, right, with summers coming up, we had to have these discussions. What is our summer going to look like? And so sometimes when they got a little bit older, I would, they would sleep later, right? The older they got, the later they slept. I would get up earlier and work like until lunch. They knew how to get up and get their breakfast. And then they would come down to where I was working and they would play or do whatever, do their chores. And if we were all done, then we would eat lunch and then we could go to the pool. And so we learned, or I would learn to take one day a week off so that we could go to the zoo and hang out. I adjusted my schedule, made it very flexible so that I could still be home and do things with them. And so we did a lot of that manipulating over the years. But the other thing that my husband and I chose to do was when they would start, sometimes as kids like to do, start complaining, mom works all the time, she can't do ABC. We sat them down and showed them how much money I would have made if I'd stayed in corporate. And it was a lot of money, (laughs) right? It was a lot of money. And we showed them over these 10 years, this is what mom would have made. But we thought you all were worth more than that. And that's why she came home. And so now when she works, it's to give you soccer shoes. It's to allow you to go on vacation and to do these other things, you know, these extras and add-ons and all these other things. It's because mom and dad are working together to provide this. And when they started seeing that and we started saying, so if you want to go to the pool, the way to do that is we work as a family unit. And that means for us to go to the pool, if you don't pull your weight and mom stops and then has to go clean the kitchen or or take out the trash, that pushes everything longer. But if you get all that done, mom gets her piece done, dad gets his piece done, we all get to go play. And so when we brought them into the goal of our family, we do family strategy sessions, goal planning, the whole thing. And when they were able to come in, even as little, little boys as part of that and feel like they had an input and they, they owned kind of the outcome of what happened in our family, then they rolled up their sleeves and jumped in. Now, I mean, they still argued and fought their normal kids are not perfect. But they learned what hard work was and they learned that if they wanted something, here's what you do, how you plan. And we just I just my business grew and grew as they grew and we brought them in at age appropriate times. And now, Meg, my boys are 21 and 24. My oldest has already graduated with two degrees from college and is out in the working world. And my youngest is getting ready to start his senior year of college. And I now invite them into my QuickBooks. I now tell them the goals of my business. I show them my balance sheets, my P&Ls. I describe all of the entrepreneurial world to them because they might want to do some of that. And I want them to see it, know it, and understand it. So they started off picking up pens on the floor, and now they review my financial documents. That's incredible. I love so much about that. I love how you laid, especially with the the balance, right? That's something that we're, I deal with all the time. Yeah. (laughs) But explaining the expectations, but I love how you broke it down too with here is the money I'd be making at corporate. And also very likely here's the time I'd be gone. That's right. That's the other piece of it. It's not just about money. 
It's the trade-off of all right. of it. So yes, we may have more money, but your life would look very different. You, right. you, you wouldn't be here with me all summer. You know, what, what you think now is me tying your hands, they'd be even more tied. It would be a, a completely different look. And this is the life that dad and I have chosen for our family. And this is what we get. And how do we make the best of where we are? And so they, they had to, we had to invite them into that. Otherwise, I didn't want them to be entitled. I wanted them to grow up hardworking. And I wanted them to understand, because here, here's the deal for me. Number one, and, and I'm, I'm going to take this in two directions. I'll do it really quickly. One, as a mom and as a business owner, it is easy to feel torn. It is easy to feel like when I'm mom, I'm not being a great business owner. And when I'm a business owner, I'm not a great mom. And I always feel like I'm falling short somewhere. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm, the joke used to always be, I feel like I'm spinning plates. I hope the ones that fall are paper and plastic. It used to always be my joke. Like, just don't let the glass plates drop, Right. Right. And that is miserable. It's miserable because you're not balanced. You're not centered. You're not present anywhere. You're you're all over the place. And I lived through seasons like that and kept trying to figure out how do I stop that madness? Because I wanted to stop everything. Like I, I wanted to be like, don't call me mom and put the covers over my head or I don't want to do business anymore, even though I loved it because of the stress. So I had to find a way to stop that, right? Because it was not conducive to where I wanted to go and to the family life I wanted to have. The next thing that, that my husband and I talked about is we knew that chances are going forward that when our sons grew up watching the way the economy and it, the world and everything was going, they were probably going to have to be in a home where both parents worked in some way, shape or form, a side hustle, an entrepreneurial job, you know, selling some type of makeup from home, whatever it is. They were going to do something and we needed them to see what that could look like because their wife might have to make with them, you know, together, their family unit would have to make choices that were best. So we wanted them to know that everything we were doing was with intentionality, not because it just felt good that day. And the only way to do that was to talk about it and explain as a family, here's why we can't do what that family does, but here's what we have that this family doesn't and here's why. And so it, it, it didn't make things seem as haphazard and made it, we wanted them to see that we were doing this with a plan. It didn't always work the way we wanted. And we told them that too, right? This is just, we're trying our best here with what we have, with the resources that we have, we're trying our best and we want you to see what it looks like. Yeah. And I like that you said it didn't always work because I think that's a big piece is that sometimes despite our best intentions, Things don't work out how we want them to, but that's also a great lesson for our kids to see. I think that's a harder lesson to teach because, you know, we teach so much cause and effect in the world. If you do this, then this happens. If you do this, then this happens. And there is a lot that goes on where you do everything right and it still goes wrong. And I will tell you, raising raising men, because I, I tried not to raise big boys. I tried to raise men. And in these 21 and 24 years, I will tell you that has been the most difficult lesson where everything was done right and it still went wrong and it happens. So now what are we going to do about it? Yeah, that's definitely, it's a tough lesson to learn at any age, but especially it's at my age still, yeah, I, exactly. I did it all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what went wrong. I don't understand. Yeah, no, I hear you. Oh man. 
Well, I want to talk too. I want to dive into your business a little bit because yeah. it's changed over the years. So you mentioned you mentioned starting with like curtains, right? right. And then now you're doing consulting. So how did you get from curtains to consulting? Yeah, good. That's a good question. All right. So my first 10 years, I built financial software. I have to tell you that or you won't understand the end. <laughs> so I worked for Dun & Bradstreet and I built financial accounting software. So accounts payable, general ledger, purchasing, all of that. Came home and started doing custom window treatments, interior design, if you will. So doing different aspect of interior design. And I did that, and then I realized I wasn't making any money. And that wasn't cool because I was over here making people happy, making all these beautiful things, and I didn't have the money coming in to support what I was doing. Big wake-up call, big aha moments. I'm challenged by my husband. Are you a hobbyist or you have a career? What are you doing? Um, In a good way. And then I sat down and reworked everything, that same kind of insight, all right, I'm coming at this with intentionality. If I'm going to be a business, I'm going to own it. Like I'm going to deep down to my core own what I'm doing, not kind of say it out there and hope everybody applauds me or gets it right. I'm going to get it. So changed all my business strategies, changed my pricing model and started making money and then started teaching other interior designers and custom drapery workrooms how to do it. Cause they kept going, what are you doing? Okay. Excuse me. What are you doing? So I started teaching that back in like 2007. In 2009, I went in with an investment firm and we um, were the managing firm for the Custom Home Furnishings Academy, which was a 9,000 square foot facility in Charlotte, North Carolina. So at that point, I'm putting out a magazine every other month uh, for four years. I'm doing monthly educational calls in, in an online format, webinars like this. I'm helping run a school and doing all the education across the United States while still trying to run my own part-time business at home. And I was on the board of directors for our industry. So to say that I was stretched really, really thin would have been understatement of the year. I ended up having some health issues from too much stress, way overdone. My cardiologist said, you didn't get into this overnight. You're not going to get out overnight, but you got to get out. (laughs) And so I started, um, we sold off the company that I had owned with partners. And so then I had my small company here back um, in Atlanta, Georgia, where I am. And people started emailing me and calling me that I had been teaching for the last five years. And they said, will you consult with me? Will you come in and look at my business? Look at my financial books. Help me do what you've done. So just people just started emailing me, asking me for help. And I was like, huh, maybe I'll do that. So I went back and started taking coaching classes and looking at it because we're talking 2013, there were almost no coaches in, in, in the creative space that, you know, that's a newer thing. But six years ago, there wasn't a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So I went back and thought about what would I do? How would I do it? And my idea is always make that if we're going to work this hard, we should be making money at it. And women have a harder time with that than men. So that's how it went from window treatments to owning a school and working in a nonprofit, you know, for nine years. And then turning around and starting this from all of that experience. Um, And then all the way back to the 10 years before you're doing financials. And so now what I do is I work with business owners, helping them to understand the financials of their company. Most people don't understand that. So when I say, do you understand your financials? Oh, yeah. My bookkeeper accountant sending me these reports every month. And I go, oh, great. So do you look at them? Yeah. I'm like, and do you know what you're looking at? No. 
And so it, what good does it do us to look at a report if we don't know what the numbers are telling us? Like we can't use that information right. to do anything. And so I really like to go in and say, let me teach you what the numbers mean. Because the numbers, I have a podcast called Profit is a Choice. And what it means is that every decision we make, how we spend our time, our resources, our money, is a choice that gets us to profitability or away from profitability. So if we want to be profitable in our speech, then we need to be careful with our words. If we want to be profitable in our checking account, we better be careful with our spending habits and our pricing habits. You know, it's that same thought is I can't leave a legacy for my children that I don't have. I cannot give them an inheritance I don't own. Mm -hmm. So if I want to give them an inheritance of integrity and of kindness and of generosity, then I better be that girl, that woman, because I cannot give what I do not have. And so my goal is for us to have businesses that we manage with intentionality. And then I also in 2015 became Profit First Certified. And Profit First is a money management methodology. Um, And the book is Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And it is the idea of um, take out the profit for the company first. I mean, a, a healthy, maintainable profit, not one that you're robbing the company so that the company can be sustainable because the profit in the company is what allows the company to sustain separate from us. Then make sure we're being paid as employees, make sure our taxes are covered and that the expenses are covered. And so that methodology makes you um, aware of every dollar and every cent where it goes. It's similar to Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University that Mm -hmm. many of us might use in our homes. It's the same kind of thing. In theory, so Dave has us use an envelope system to manage our money. So he'll tell you this amount goes to the budget, you know, to pay your mortgage and this goes for groceries and vacations for your family. We do the same thing on the business. This amount goes for, let's say, operating expenses of the company. This amount goes for salaries. This amount goes for bonuses for everybody or whatever. And we open up individual bank accounts. And then I teach companies how to manage the money. First, I teach you how to make the money. Then I teach you how to manage the money. Which is important because I think too many people make the money and then they don't know how to manage it. And then they lose everything, you know, from one reason or another. So I, I can, you, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. I can put a big exclamation point behind that. Because Meg, I can promise you since April 15th, my phone has been ringing off the hook for people that owe more than six figures to the IRS because they did not manage the money or they realized they paid all their staff and they didn't get paid or something's happening. They made a lot of money and they don't know where it went. They're looking at a profit and loss statement, an income sheet, and it says they earned this amount of money and they don't know where the money is and it's not in the bank account. And I get call after call after call. And I'm not talking companies, you know, that are having this, this struggle that are making 150, 250,000. I'm talking, I got companies in the millions that have the same problem. They are selling $2 million worth of product and services, and they owe six figures to the government for taxes and are having to make drastic choices in their life to be able to figure that out. So it's, it's happening across the board because we're not managing our money. If I could be as bold to say, I think that over the last maybe 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. we have been so lax in our money management skills as a nation. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, there was no such thing as an ATM until I was in like 
oh gosh, high school, college, you, you couldn't just go get money. You had to write a check, get it out of the checkbook, cash a check, get cash. There were no credit cards. Everybody didn't have credit cards like they have now. It just was not a thing. You know, that's just been within the last 30 years that those have started showing up. Our idea of not getting something immediately was layaway. <laughs> but the idea was they didn't give it to you until you paid for all of it and then you got it. Our grandparents used to set up Christmas funds and vacation funds. And they would, at the bank, they could like put a little bit of money into a Christmas fund every month so that when it came time to buy gifts, they had the money. A perfect example is 401k. I mean, if we think about that, the government knows if they give us all of our money to come home, we are not going to take that money and go put it back into a retirement savings. So they give us the opportunity to take the profit in air quotes here first out of our salaries to save it. And then what comes home, we spend because if they sent that home, we would spend it. It's that it's the same mindset for all of this. It is we will it's Parkinson's law. We will increase or decrease for the space that we have to fill it. So if I have two weeks to get something done, I'm going to get it done in two weeks. If I got two days, I'll get it done in two days. Mm -hmm. If I got $50 to spend, I'll spend 50. If I got 500, I'll spend 500. And so what we do, the idea is to limit what we have, put it in a box, an envelope, a bank account and go, that's all you have to do that. Spend carefully. And now we can actually make the money work for us instead of us work, 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 and don't know where the money went. I feel like that's an amazing explanation. I feel like it's, it makes sense. And I love that you brought in like the 401k because that's something that we're all so familiar, familiar with. Yeah. I remember even as a little girl, I had this little triplicate piggy bank kind of thing. Yeah. That looked like a house. And my parents would always have me put 10% in for charity or tithe. I put 20% in for savings and 70% I could spend. We didn't even get into the tax issue at that point, right? But that's how they taught me that you take your money and you have to parse it out. Like you can't take the whole amount and spend it if you're not saving for things, if you're not allocating for these other things. And we are very um, want to try to double spend our money. Like I'll say to somebody, I cannot record this podcast with you and be recording a podcast with somebody else as one-to-one at the same time. It's not possible. So I cannot double spend my time like this, right? Mm -hmm. Because we spend our time on our calendar. Well, the same way I can't double spend my money. And so what we also see is people that don't understand in their companies or in their homes, the cash flow and the idea that I might not need to spend this $30 this month, but next month I've got a wedding gift that I'm going to have to add the two months together to have enough to buy the gift that I want to have or, what you know, birthday party, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But if we don't understand that, we go ahead and spend the money and then we wonder why we don't have it. Right. But a lot of these things have to be planned out over time. And so it's yeah. a management system to help you do that. And we do a similar, you were talking about like the the banks. We do a similar thing with our kids. My kids used to have a, it was like, I think it was called a moon jar. It's like a specific brand that has like the three slots. Yeah. Sections. Um, But I actually just went and got Mason jars. So I've got four kids, which means we have 12 Mason jars. I kept them right in the little box. So it's like organized. Yeah. Have their names on them and it's save, spend and give. And even my three-year-old does it. And she knows that um, spend 
we we tell her spend is for something small, save is for something big, because I feel like at three, you don't understand <laughs> what, yes. what you're saving for. So we just call it something big. And then give is to help others. And they uh-huh. know that that's the breakdown. Yep. That's exactly the way that we did it. Um, growing up. And that is, that is a really um, a great opportunity to invite our children in to really good money management habits. But I would say that a lot of us might understand that principle in home, but we don't think about what would it look like in business. Right. And so, right. So the challenge is to take that same way of thinking and go, now, what would that look like in my business? How do I manage that? How do I make sure I get paid? My staff gets paid taxes get covered, the company gets paid, and all the other things get done, you know, the growth, even having ability to grow later. And and so it just, just it brings such an awareness. And it seems overwhelming sometimes, but I'm going to tell you, knowing your financials in your business, owning, owning that, like really to your core, it actually gives you such a peace. You can sleep at night, stress is reduced, you can spend with intentionality. It's like going to the store and going, you know what? I only have X number of dollars left. I don't really need those Twinkies. <laughs> I can do without that because if I get the Twinkies, I can't have milk and I get to make a choice. This isn't like, this isn't like I'm a victim here. I get to make the choice. Right. What am I going to do? And so I've had business owners tell me over and over again that they actually feel more empowered as business owners when they started learning where all the money in the company went so that it wasn't just accidentally overruns. And I mean, we watch in the news and we watch what happens in government or in other businesses where money's just like flowing like water and we don't understand it. But in a micro way, we do that in our own businesses if we're not careful because it's easy to do. It's easy to look in the bank account and go, oh, there's money and not even realize that it's already been promised out for 10 other things. Right. And I feel like I've, I've fallen into that own trap doing it in my mind. You know, well, you've got yes, a yes. bonus $100 coming your way and you plan out like five different ways to spend it. And then uh-huh. before you know it, it's like, wait, where to go? Right. right. What happened to my bonus? Uh-huh. No, it, I'm telling you, it happens to all of us. And we think about the five different ways and we don't realize that we've already reallocated that pie so many times there's none left. Right. I, I worked with a client yesterday. It was a new client. We were working through her stuff. She's telling me how she's paying her employees. And I keep like, <laughs> what? What? And finally, I said to her, well, okay, I appreciate that you're paying your employees so well. So kind of tell me where like you're getting paid and where's the business getting paid? And then she realized she was paying all of them and not paying her in the business fairly. And I said to her, if we don't sustain you and the business, it won't be there for them to be employed. So right. if we want to keep them employed, we've got to pay you and the business fairly so that you can keep doing what you're doing to provide jobs for them. Mm. So it was a huge wake up call. Yeah, for sure. So for the the business owner, the entrepreneur who's listening and now they, they're feeling right now like they're not as savvy with their profits and, and their systems as they should be. What would you say is the general like first step? Yeah, the first step I would say is to kind of have a conversation with yourself that says, I don't get it, but I can and I'm going to get help to understand it. 
the, the first part is mindset. It's always mindset. What we believe and what we think is what we do. So if we believe that we can learn it, if we believe that we can get help, if we are empowered to even go do that, that's the first step. It sounds super trite and super flippant, and I don't mean it that way. It truly is about making a decision that I won't continue on like I've been doing. Okay. The Mm -hmm. second thing I would say that you could do is if you have a bookkeeper or an accountant, ask them to explain some things to you. Ask them to go over those documents with you. If they won't and they treat you like you're crazy for asking or they are demeaning, it is not the right person to be on your team. And I would say you find one that will hand in hand help you. I'll also tell you, Meg, I mean, I do have a couple of courses. So I have an understanding your financials course, which will walk you through understanding a PL, a balance sheet, cash flow, um, a financial budget, setting financial goals, having a financial plan, like how much salary do you want to make? How do you want to price your work? All those things. So I do have an online course that, that does that. Um, and then if you want to do the money management side, I would say pick up the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I also have a course that teaches that. So it takes what's in the book and helps you actually implement it because Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it sounds super easy, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily as easy to always implement. Right. And and it also could be different for each business. It's a process. You know, it's not a have to, it's a process. And so we sometimes need to manipulate it based on the way the business is running. Um, but, but, you know, again, I've got a podcast on profit as a choice. There are other podcasts out there. There's a lot of information out there. Another great resource is go to score, you know, your local score offices. Sometimes they have a small accounting classes where they'll teach it to you, mm. but just really being willing to go in and look at the financials and say, I want to understand where this is coming and where this is going so that I can be very intentional and effective with the choices and the decisions that I make for the company. And I definitely, you mentioned getting on the phone with like your accountant, your bookkeeper, um, or setting up a meeting and going over the form. One of the ways that I do it, I do stuff like that, is I do them on Zoom. Oh, yeah. Free Zoom account if you don't already have it. And you can record. So you could get your accountant on a Zoom call with the video recording, you can share screens, you can go over the, the statement, you can record it. And I, I think back and that's watch it. the gold because you could have one call, even if I don't know if they're going to charge you for the hour, pay for the hour, but record it because then you can go back every single month until you get it. That's right. And, and that's why I have the online course that way for that same way of thinking. Yeah. So that you can get it and go through it with exercises to make you do it and, and be accountable for it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I absolutely agree. And it's worth paying for to understand it. Exactly. Whether it's your accountant, your bookkeeper, me, another coach, somebody. The other thing I would say, and I, and I say this with all due respect, if you have an accountant or a bookkeeper that will not talk to you, that will not give you some advice about your books, that, that acts belligerent if you see something that you question for understanding or any other reason, they are not the right ones to be on your team. These people are professionals that we are inviting in to work with us to enhance our business and to grow it. So we should never feel demeaned. We should never feel like we can't call them. We should never feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to feel stupid when I get... We got to let all that go. So they are either in this with us and they are supporting the areas of our company that we cannot or they're not because we wouldn't be in business if we made our clients feel that way. Right. 
my, my clients would never come back. If every time they called me, I was like, well, that was a stupid question. I mean, <laughs> who would ever call me again? You know, and it's not a stupid question. It's a stupid question if it's somebody who's maybe should be, you know, a, a, a perfectionist at that. But most of us, that's not what we are. Right. We're learning it and we're asking. So there should really be no real stupid question. Um, and we shouldn't be ever made to feel that way. And, and there are a huge number of accountants and bookkeepers that are excellent. I work with a ton of them. And the only reason I bring that up is because it's been some of the pushback that I've gotten is, why, I'll say, well, why didn't you ask your accountant or could you ask your bookkeeper? Oh, God, I don't want to ask them. They always make me feel so stupid or they berate me when I do these things that I'm not getting it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We, you, as the owner of your company, should never feel that way because we won't make our clients feel that way. Right. No, that's a great point. That's a really great point. It's really sad that that's even has to be made. It, it is sad. And and, and it, I'm not the only one who's making the point. Like I've heard other accountants even come up and go, listen, if your accountant won't talk to you, there are two accountants who have been on my podcast and both of them have said, if your accountant won't talk to you, you need a new accountant. Right. I meet with my accountant once a quarter. So I meet with them um, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, beginning of the year, so that I can you know, get all the information for taxes. I meet with them right before tax time to give them everything, meet with them after tax time to review everything, right? So those are just like quick reviews. Then I meet with my accountant strategically in around the July timeframe, July, August, because I'm now done with the first half of my year. So we can start to see the trajectory of my company and start to anticipate what we think the second half is going to look like. Then I meet with them again at the end around October to review what we thought that third quarter was going to look like and to project again a little bit closer what we think we need to do for the last part of the year. So do I need to defer funds or, you know, what are the things that I need to do to put my business in a good place for taxes in addition to my husband's income? And so by meeting with her or him repeatedly, they are now a trusted advisor to my company. They They want me to succeed. I'm listening to their advice. I'm challenging it if I don't understand it by asking questions, not in a a rude Mm -hmm. way, but just help me understand. They always do that for me um, and they will do it for you all as well. But then I'm able to actually feel like I can control the pieces and parts of my business. So I'm over here. I mean, I have an attorney that I work with. I have accountants that I work with just because I do this and teach it all day. I also need somebody to look into mine. Right. Because I can't fix some of it on the inside. Sometimes it takes somebody from the outside looking in and I have my own business coach. I'm a business coach. I have my own coach Yeah, because I need somebody else to look into my business and my life to see my blind spots because I've missed them. Yeah, no. And I'm, it's funny. There's a lot of parallels between what you're saying and things I see in my own business. You know, I'm in marketing and I've had the same experiences with, with some of my clients who say that their previous marketing people didn't share information with them, didn't teach them what was happening. And like, I'm really big on focusing on education. And I also like you, I have my own marketing people because I work so hard marketing other people. I can't market myself effectively. So like you bring in that outside person. So I love that you mentioned that and I can see a lot of the parallels. And I think a lot of people listening will be able to see those parallels too. So I'd love to know where, where can people connect with you? Okay, so my main website is scarletthreadconsulting.com. 
And I have a landing page just for your listeners. And it is at scarletthreadconsulting.com forward slash familypreneur. One word altogether. Awesome. Well, I will put those links in our show notes as well so that people can find them easily. And I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share so much information with us. Meg, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thanks. You will find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 160. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend with us here today. I feel like this episode was super valuable. I have listened to the Profit First book, so I didn't, I'm not a reader, I'm a listener, which is why I love podcasting, right? I love this form of consuming content. So you can get the audiobook for Profit First. I got it through Audible and listen to that book, but I do encourage you to connect with Michelle or another expert, another um, accountant or bookkeeper who can really help ensure that you're applying all of the lessons and the learnings from that book because it is such a dense amount of information that you really want to make sure that you're applying it all appropriately. Are you a member of the Familypreneur community? If not, I highly encourage you to go join there as well. We continue our conversations every single week in the Familypreneur Facebook group. You can access that group at familypreneurcommunity.com and join us. We have tons of great content, especially for parent entrepreneurs raising entrepreneurial kids. Until next time, I hope you have a great week and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye. Did you know that my mom has a Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, and more? Her username is The Meg Brunson. Just about everywhere. You should go follow her.